Well, good morning. Um, well, today is Pentecost. It's a day to celebrate, to give thanks, and we're going to do that. Typically, on uh, Pentecost, we would be uh, celebrating with baptism. We had baptism scheduled this morning, uh, but unfortunately, um, the Heiser boys who were going to be baptized came down with a bug yesterday, and so we are going to reschedule that baptism. Uh, I would encourage you to pray for them, pray especially for Lauren as she's home taking care of the kids, um, and, uh, and we look forward to being able to celebrate that baptism very soon. Um, but, uh, but today is a day that we typically celebrate baptism uh, because it goes uh, so perfectly with what we are remembering on this day as we celebrate Pentecost. And we're going to talk about why that is and what Pentecost represents. But I just wanted to begin by just saying to everybody here, to all of us who are followers of Jesus, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, maybe you haven't gotten your happy birthday in today. I want to be able to say that to you. Maybe you had a birthday breakfast. Maybe you had some cake. I don't know how you started the day. Uh, marking this day, it is a birthday. Uh, it's the birthday of the church. I think it's a beautiful way to think about what's taking place uh, in the life of the church at Pentecost. And so maybe that's new to you. Maybe celebrating Pentecost uh, is new to you, uh, whether you've grown up in the church or whether you're still exploring Jesus Pentecost is something that we want to celebrate every year. Uh, it is something that we want to mark together as a birthday celebration. How awesome is it when you get to celebrate the same birthday as, you know, 80 to 100 of your closest friends? So here we are celebrating together. In fact, I want to encourage you, uh, and I'm okay, I, I, this is not a universal uh, invitation, but you can take out your phone right now if you want to. In the middle of this sermon, you can take it out and mark Pentecost next year. I want you to mark Pentecost just like you would look forward to your birthday. I want you to look forward to Pentecost next year. Mark it on the calendar. It's May 28th, 2023. May 28th, 2023. So we're going to celebrate Pentecost. We're going to do it every year. We do it every year. It's a, a moment where we get to be reminded of what God has done for us, particularly in his Holy Spirit. And before we kind of get into what Pentecost is itself, which is what I want to talk about this morning, I do want to take this moment just to highlight something that I think uh, this brings to the fore that's been lost uh, in, in many parts of the church, in particular in the West. Um, and it's the fact that God hasn't just given us a day like Pentecost. He's actually given us lots of days, uh, lots of days in the calendar, lots of seasons in the calendar that help us uh, remember uh, who he is and what he's done for us, who we are in him and how he's called us to live together. There's, there's something really beautiful and powerful going on here when it comes to time and faith. And I think Pentecost is an opportunity to step back and see that. Um, and I don't know if maybe you've never thought about the connection between time and your faith. Between time and your faith, how, how marking your time, the time in your life, whether it's by the days or the weeks or the months or the years, um, might be shaped by what you believe about God and what he says about who you are and what he says, most importantly, about who Jesus is. Because how we mark time both shapes us and it reveals uh, what our priorities are. So time is, is very important. And our faith in Jesus and our life with him, actually, it has the power to change time. It's one of the things I want us to consider this morning as we're celebrating Pentecost. Jesus, in your life, when he becomes the center of everything too, he actually has the power to change Time is one of the unique and beautiful things, I think, about the Christian faith. While many religions offer a way to escape time, right, to escape the pressures of this reality um, into another reality, God actually invites us to redeem time. That's what he's doing. He's redeeming time itself. God made time. 
Time is good. Uh, he's given it to us for our good. And so it's not something that we want to escape or feel like we battle against or even worse, feel like we're constantly under the tyranny of time. So thinking about redemption and the redemption of time, I think, is really important for us as followers of Christ. And it's not something that began with Pentecost. It's not something that began with the church. God actually has always been working to redeem time. And so if you look, even in the Old Testament, he instructed Israel uh, to mark time through the keeping of things like feasts. There were different feasts that marked the time, like the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, or what we call Passover, uh, the Feast of the Weeks, which is what we celebrate today in, in line with that great feast of Israel, Pentecost, and then things like the Feast of the Booths. Now, these feasts all had very important meanings, and they reminded Israel to give thanks to their God, to the living God who had delivered them and, and blessed them. And so there were occasions to do that. And now as followers of Christ, we have the same opportunity when it comes to time. We can actually mark time with feasts and seasons, and it helps us to celebrate, particularly to celebrate God's ultimate deliverance of us as people, his ultimate blessing of us in the person of Jesus. And so everything, the calendar, in other words, begins to revolve around the person of Jesus. Just like everything in our life, our time, our calendar, everything begins to revolve around Jesus. In other words, as followers of Jesus, this may sound strange, but we don't actually mark time primarily based on uh, the Roman calendar. We live, we have to work, we live in this world. We, we, we have to recognize our hallmark holidays, you know, and we celebrate those. That's fine, I'm not against that, but we do it on things other than the weather. We base the, the time of our lives on things other than the position of the stars, uh, other than whatever national month it is. Did you know there's a national month for golf? Some of you did, and you take full advantage because you know it's in August. So you take off, you leave Houston and go play golf somewhere else. We mark time, we mark time. We all mark time by things, but for us as followers of Jesus, it's about Jesus. We mark time by him. And so the seasons and the feasts of the church actually help us to live in light of his incarnation and his resurrection and his spirit. So I, I just wanna, I know we've got the kids in here. We, we don't have kids time and dive in uh, this week. And so I, I wanna maybe get their help a little bit as we're thinking about the seasons of the church because we actually have seasons and rhythms that we enter into. And that may be new to you. Um, and so uh, if you know the answer, kids or adults, either one, feel free to kind of call out. But I'm just curious, if you had to guess, when does the church calendar year begin? When's New Year's according to the church? I'm gonna give you a hint. It's not January 1st, okay? Does anybody know when the calendar year for the church begins. What season is it? Advent. Advent. Great. All right. Good job, Derek. I'll give you a piece of candy or something later. <laughs> Derek, Derek nailed it. Advent. All right. Advent. All right. So here, here so we got Advent. Can we put Advent up? We're going we're gonna to work through this real quick. Advent. All right. So what's, what's next? Who knows what's next? After Advent, you have? Not Lent yet. Lent's coming, but Christmas. Okay. Christmas. So you got Advent, and you got Christmas, then what comes? It's a little trickier. I heard it. Yeah, Shelly said it. Epiphany. All right, good. All right, and then what's after Epiphany? What is it? Lent. Okay, good. Lent. And then after Lent is Easter. And then after Easter is today, Pentecost. Good. And then here's the, this might be the trickiest one, because we're not as used to this one. What comes after Pentecost and runs all the way back around the calendar to Advent? Anybody know? Thank you, Linda. Ordinary time. Ordinary time. Okay. 
It's got a boring name, but it's important. So here, here's the thing. I would love to, uh, so there's cool things about all this that kind of help us mark time uh, around Jesus, around his incarnation and resurrection. There's little things like you might notice the color of the frontal, this piece of fabric that's on the table. It's changed. Today it's what color? Red, okay? So today it's red. When we get into ordinary time, it will turn green. And then Advent will be purple. Christmas and Epiphany are white. So there, there's these patterns. And so here's, here's a little plug. This summer we're going through a class called Simply Anglican. And one of the things we're going to get to explore is how, as a part of the spirit-filled movement of the church, God's given us amazing gifts in our Anglican tradition. And some of them are around things like liturgy and the calendar and these colors and all these things are pointing us to Jesus and helping us keep him at the center of our life personally and corporately. So I want to encourage you to check that out. Come be a part of that class. It starts on Wednesday, 7 o'clock, and you can stop by the welcome table and learn more about it. But all these seasons, they help us as the people of God orient our lives around Jesus. And there's practices and habits connected with these different times of year that help us to do that. Um, and so, for example, in Advent and Lent, one of the things that we take up as a community or take up individually is fasting. Uh, we prayed a, a, a corporate prayer at the end of worship that was specific to this season of Pentecost. The Book of Common Prayer is full of beautiful and powerful prayers and readings of Scripture that kind of help us follow the ebb and flow of the calendar year. And so today, Pentecost, what we do is we look at a, life, a moment in the life of Jesus or of the church to help us remember again who we are and how he's called us to live. And then he's given us this amazing uh, gift, the Holy Spirit. And so all these things have to do with time. So I just wanted to, that was kind of on the front. That's bonus. That's not even what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about Pentecost. Now, I, I know I've been talking for a while, so I won't go on for a full sermon. Don't get nervous. Uh, but what, what is Pentecost? That's what I really want to talk about today. What is Pentecost? So again, if you're new to this, uh, this idea of Pentecost, um, it really goes back to uh, this gift that God had given Israel, this feast that they would celebrate. Pentecost literally means the 50th day, and it was the 50th day after the celebration of Passover, and we call it Shavuot or the Day of First Fruits. And that gives you a clue as to what Pentecost was about, the, the Feast of the First Fruits. It's about a harvest. It's about the gift of the harvest. And so it was, a, it was Thanksgiving in a way. It, it was this opportunity to say, God, we are so grateful for your provision for us as your people. And everything we have, we give back to you and we celebrate because everything in the heavens is yours, O oh Lord, and this is your kingdom. It was that kind of moment in the people's uh, lives. And so for followers of Jesus, it's become a day of thanksgiving for us as well. It's this, this birthday uh, and it's a harvest, but we just looked at this in Romans 8. It's a harvest of what? The first fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful how all that connects. Paul, he sees this as, a, as this beautiful moment, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so on the Jewish holiday of Pentecost, and probably about the year 34 or 35, we think, there was this God-appointed moment in the history of the universe where he was going to send his Holy Spirit on the gathering of Jesus' disciples, and this incredible moment happened. There was wind and, and what looked like fire hovering over uh, tongues of fire hovering over their heads, and, and there was this outpouring of praise and worship and the proclamation of the wonders of God in all kinds of languages, because there were people for this festival who had come from all over there in Jerusalem, and it was loud, and it was messy, and it was crazy, and it was unexpected in so many ways, and yet it was a total fulfillment of everything God had been planning up to that moment, and what he had told them would happen 
and what Jesus had told them would happen. And so what happened is thousands of people are suddenly kind of captivated by this moment, and they're, they're scratching their heads. They're saying, what is this? What's going on with this craziness? And so Peter stands up in the moment, and if you read on in chapter 2, he, he gives this spirit-inspired sermon. He proclaims the gospel. This is who Jesus is, and this is what's happened. He's, he, he came. He's been crucified. He's risen from the dead, and this has all been prophesied before. And so God has come among us today through his Holy Spirit so that you might know this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And he, he gives this amazing sermon. And what happens? Thousands come to faith in Jesus. 3,000 people, we're told, come to faith in Jesus. They go from death to life in Christ. And they not only accept Christ, but they begin to ask, what do we do now? What do we do? This changes everything. Reorienting their lives around Jesus. And Peter's answer is, is straightforward. He said, believe for yourself. Believe that this Jesus is the Son of God. Pursue him. Turn away from all else. Love him and follow him. Take these steps of faith, and you will be filled with God's Spirit too, just like you've seen here. You will be filled with his Spirit. And they did, and they were. And read Acts. Read Acts and see what happens. Look at the history of the church and see what happens. Listen to stories in this congregation and see what happens when God comes into your life and he fills you with his Holy Spirit. And so it's this move of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. This move of the Holy Spirit begins in this moment. And so the Holy Spirit gains the attention and draws people in so that they might see Jesus and commit to following him, know him, and love him. And what's interesting is this, this got attention. This got pushback and persecution. This actually got the attention of Hadrian, the emperor at the time. And Hadrian, interestingly enough, uh, we have this uh, correspondence with him about what was happening with the Holy Spirit. So it's so fascinating. This, this secular power is talking to uh, this guy named Aristides, who is a pagan philosopher, and he wants to know what's going on with this, this movement called the Way, these Christians. And this is what he said. I think this is so fascinating. It gives us a glimpse into how the Spirit was moving. Aristides reports to the emperor, he says this. He says, they love one another. They never fail to help widows and save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he was a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers and sisters instead through the spirit, he writes. This is a secular pagan philosopher. They, he sees this oneness in the spirit. Brothers and sisters through the spirit, they are one in God. Outside in, he's looking, he's seeing this. And so no wonder people were drawn. This is what people were being drawn to. And it's not because these people were wonderful, amazing, good-looking, sharp-dressed people. That's not what they were being drawn to. They are being drawn to something that was extraordinary, supernatural, beyond explanation. They were being drawn because the Holy Spirit had come and brought all the gifts of wisdom and faith and generosity and humility and grace and it was marking them with love and kindness and peace. And so these people were living into all that Jesus had promised, and it was drawing other people to Jesus. Now, did all that happen in a moment, all at once, on one day, on Pentecost? No, it was, it was a process. It took time, just like it takes time for us to become who we are in Christ. It took effort. It took effort. But later in Acts 2, we see where all that leads, what God is actually doing in this move of the Spirit. 
we see that they took up habits, ways of life together. Real quick, they came together continually. Specifically, it tells us for fellowship and meals. Okay, so good news, foodies. This church is for you. We get to eat. We get to eat together. They learned the teachings of Jesus. That's the second thing. They, they loved to hear from the apostles. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus think? How would Jesus want us to live if he were here? They get to hear the teachings of Jesus. And then three, they worshiped and prayed together in the temple. So they were gathering together as a community. And it says in their homes, constantly, regularly. And you see this worked out in the, uh, in the book of Acts. And so, in other words, they were not just filled with the Spirit, uh, but they were actually seeing the Spirit lead them to be devoted to each other. And so as they knew God, they, they, they learned to know one another and love one another more deeply. And so their whole lives oriented around Jesus, their whole time, all their time oriented around Jesus, they wanted to be together with him. They wanted to be together to learn from him. They wanted to become like him and faithfully take up his way of life, both personally and corporately. And so that's what you see playing out in the book of Acts. And here's the thing, as those three habits kind of took root, there were three unexpected things that became evident among them. And you see this, again, here in Acts chapter two. So one of the things it says that came upon them, if you look at the end of chapter two, it says awe. They were marked by awe. They were people of awe. Why? Because they experienced signs and wonders, specifically, it says. In other words, they were praying. They are praying for each other and with one another. And you know what was happening? God was answering their prayers. God was doing miraculous things. Healings were occurring, and sometimes miracles. So the first thing is they had this sense of awe. The second thing is they had this spirit of generosity and love. They were just marked by generosity and love. They took care of each other. Those who had a lot gave to those who didn't. Those who had more than one, they shared with those who had none. There was this mark of generosity. And then the third thing is God gave them favor with their neighbors so that day by day, people were looking at this from the outside in and they were saying, I want what you got. I want Jesus. And it gave them opportunity to share about Christ. And so this, this community that began with, with Jews scattered across uh, the nations actually became this multi-ethnic, multi-national community of people who were bonded together, bound together by one thing, Jesus. Jesus, and that was all the Holy Spirit. And so this isn't something that, that's gonna happen because you have the perfect church vision. They didn't, that's not what Acts 2 is about. Get a really awesome vision, and you can do this too. Uh, it's not about making sure you got a perfect strategy for X ministry, for life groups. You got perfect life group strategy, awesome, you can do this. You'll see this happen. It's not about that. It's not the result of great church staff or awesome preaching or facilities or bigger budgets, all the things that we kind of get distracted by in the church. It's not about that. Because here's the thing. You can't produce this. You can't produce this. That's why it's a gift. It's the first fruits. It's a harvest. You can't produce love and sacrifice. You can't produce a reputation that draws people to Jesus, not an authentic one. You can't program awe. You can't schedule miracles. You can't organize generosity and love. But these are things that happen when a body is wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus and filled with the Spirit. These are marks of the Spirit. And that's what God wants for us as a church. That's what he wants for apostles. It's why we gather here on Sundays. It's why we worship and pray together. It's why we do gather in our homes and life groups. And so while Pentecost is a one-time event, 
The initial coming of the Holy Spirit, it is not to be repeated. It is a one-time event. But what is to be repeated over and over and over again is this new life, this joy, this desire to come together, the answers to prayer, the supernatural works of God, the boldness, the love between one another, the worship, the ethnic uh, uh, variety, the, 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 the witness, the drawing of people in, all those things just continue to happen again and again because the Spirit is with us and in us. And that's what the kingdom looks like. And that's what we're praying for here at Apostles. And so to be a spirit-filled church, that's, that's our heart. That's our desire. And so Pentecost may be a momentary, stunning event, but the life and witness of the spirit-filled church is to carry on and become stronger and more vital. And we've seen that here at Apostles. If you're new, I want to encourage you. This church is a spirit-filled church because we love Christ, and he's, he's everything to us, and the spirit is filling us and at work among us. And we've seen him do things. We've seen him provide more than we could ever imagine that he would. We've seen him lead us in directions we never dreamed that we would go, and it's been good, and he's blessed that. We've seen him do uh, miraculous things, bringing healing and deliverance and salvation, and God has more. God has more for us, and so we want to seek him and seek his spirit. He wants our little neighborhood church to be this glorious outpost of heaven where people encounter the spirit and come to know Jesus. And maybe you're asking, well, I don't know, can we actually be a church like this? Yes, we can. Yes, we can, and we are. It happened then, it'll happen now, as we're filled with the Spirit and we trust in Jesus. But we have to, we have to center everything in our lives around him. That's the key. It has to be about Christ. And the truth is, that's not the way most 21st century American Christians live. There's so many distractions. There's so many things pulling us away from Jesus. Even as we're seeking to follow him, it's hard. It's hard to stay focused on him. And oftentimes it's too costly. It requires intentionality and persistence and sacrifice and tenacity. And, and I would say there are people who sincerely love the Lord. They really believe in Jesus. But I, I think what can happen is we can, we can kind of treat we can treat God and our faith uh, like a chest of drawers, and we just put him in one drawer, right? And, and when we go to church, or we want to think about God, or we need help from God, we open that drawer, and we pull our faith out, and then when things are good, we kind of put it back in the drawer, and we close it, and we go back to the other drawers. And we can kind of live our life like that, kind of compartmentalizing our faith and not having Jesus really at the center of everything. And that's not what being filled with the Spirit is like. That's not what being filled with the Spirit like. This is how you, this is what being filled with the Spirit looks like. This is what it feels like. If you believe all, with all that you are, that Jesus has come from God to die for your sins and has been raised from the dead and you give your allegiance to him, you make him your everything. If you honor him, you cherish him in obedience and the Holy Spirit, here's the thing, is in you. If that's true of you, the Holy Spirit is in you and is at work in you and will fill you again and again and again. And so you have the Holy Spirit if you are in Christ. But here's the thing, it's, it is possible to have the Holy Spirit and not be filled with the Spirit. I do think that. There's one Spirit, there's one faith, there's one baptism, but we need to ask that the Spirit would fill us again and again. To be filled with the Spirit is, is to give God unhindered access, right, to ourselves. It's to say, Lord, I give you every area of my life. I'm not gonna hold anything back. I'm gonna let you have your way. I'm gonna depend completely on you. Help me. Help me, Spirit. Come and fill me. Have your way with me. 
I heard uh, one pastor describe it like this. He said, it's like taking a sponge and plunging it into a bucket of water. And he said, there's two ways you can do that. You can take the sponge and hold it in your hand and you kind of hold it loosely in your hand. You dunk it in that water. And when you pull it out, it's full of water because you've let it go. You're just holding it loosely. And if you squeeze it, water comes pouring out. That's what being filled with the Spirit is like. He says, but a lot of us, what we do is we take that sponge and we plunge it in the water and we hold on tight. And we've got a tight grip on that sponge, so we pull it back out. And when we let go, nothing has filled the sponge. It's not actually filled. It's wet, but it's not filled. And I think that's a great analogy for what can happen in our lives as followers of Jesus. We can get wet, but not be filled with the Spirit. Many Christians, I think, believe and are trying to be faithful to Jesus. They've received the Holy Spirit, but there's still areas of their life that they're holding on tightly to. I know this has been true in my life. I know I've seen this in others' lives. We, we are holding on really tight. And so we're not giving space for the Spirit to actually fill us. And we can't experience all that God wants to do with us. And so we need God to come and we need to ask him to come into our lives and, and to take us into his family and, and, and remind us of who we are and that his spirit is within us and that he might fill us. I recently had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine who is a Christian counselor. And he was telling me about a conversation that he had with his staff and they were, they were kind of stepping back and reflecting on what metric they wanted to use to evaluate uh, if time with a client that they were counseling was a success? Like, how do we know if it was a good session, right? And so lots of ideas were getting kicked around, and most of which hinged on, like, particular outcomes, right? Well, we'll know a success if the client uh, feels better or experiences something of God or, or, or there's some kind of transformation or change. But this is what I found so fascinating. He said when they, when they kind of wrapped it all up, what they really came down to um, to decide what the best way to determine if they had done their job well was one simple question. As I counseled this person, was I depending on the Holy Spirit or could I have done everything I did today without him? Let me read that again. As I counseled this person, was I depending on the Holy Spirit or could I have done everything I did today in this session with this person without him? Church, we can do a lot of good. We can do a lot of good. And we can develop all kinds of strategies for all kinds of good outcomes. And we can do it all without any need of the Holy Spirit's help. Being filled with the Spirit means taking the time to stop and to say, Spirit, would you fill me? I need you. I need you to do what I cannot do. I need you to fill me in this moment. How do I know to speak or, or if I should be quiet? Only because of the Spirit. How do I know if I should wait or if I should move and act? Only by the Spirit. And if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. And the question is, are you depending on the Spirit? Are you asking him to fill you? Are you wet or are you filled? So just in closing, I just want to invite us. I want to take a few minutes of prayer just to to give you a second to, to think about your own life and kind of what's going on in your life and the areas of your life. Maybe there's parts of your life that you've not been willing to or able to give over to God. Like maybe there's some goals or some plans or a relationship in your life. Maybe there's secrets in your life. Maybe there's some fears 
that you are holding on to, you're trying to manage, you're trying to, to sort out the outcome and be in control. Maybe, maybe you need healing. Maybe you need deliverance. And you need to give that completely to the Lord and let him do it. Stop holding on so tightly and trying to do it yourself. You need the spirit. And so release those things. I wanna invite you this morning, release those things. Give them to God. You can trust him. You can trust him with those things. Give them all to the Lord. God wants to saturate you. He wants to plunge you in that water and fill you. He wants to give you life with his empowering personal presence, his spirit. And when a group of people are filled with the spirit, you know what the limits are? There are no limits. There are no limits to what God can do. And people will be drawn to him and captivated by him and thousands upon thousands will come to faith in Jesus. And that's what we long to see. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit. This Pentecost, fill us with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, that's our prayer. Lord, this morning, we don't want to just be wet. Lord, we have the spirit, but we want to live in the fullness of the spirit, depending on your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know in my life, there's things I've held on to tightly and not let go so that you might fill me. Lord, so you might bring the healing and the wholeness the grace, the life, or the joy and the hope that only your spirit can give. And so Lord, I just want us to, to come to you now and ask that you would fill us. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? There's people in this room, they have a block. And I pray you would break through it. Lord, there's strongholds and hearts and I pray you would tear them down. That you would open us up, loosen our grip. Fill us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, today we give you thanks. Today is a day of thanksgiving because your spirit has come, your spirit who can do what we cannot do. Lord, the spirit that intercedes for us, that groans for us, that's at work in us to transform us into the likeness of your son. And so we give you thanks for the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks on this Pentecost day. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.